Thank you for uh, having me here tonight, church. That, that means a lot. And I know it's, uh, I've, already, I've already taken a chunk of time to present the church, and so I, I appreciate your patience there, and I'll be accounting for that tonight while I preach. It's always been a privilege to preach here at Wooden Valley Baptist Church. And looking around, I just thought about this. We're starting the Emerald City Baptist Church, so as far as things we need, if you ever remodel and get rid of some of this green stuff, I mean, we'll take some of it, for sure. Some of it, it's, it's green, right? So, I, and also, I wanted to thank uh, Miss Barb. I wanted, I, she probably would hate me for making this public, but she's already found and given us a piano for, for the, the future, and so that's, that's a blessing. It's in my apartment right now. That's a, the apartment slash church storage, and I'm thankful for that. My neighbors may not be, but I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number one. Uh, once you find Genesis chapter number one, you can go ahead and and stand with me. Uh, I love to, I love to preach. I don't know if uh, people necessarily love me preaching. I, I, I love to preach. I love to uh, open up God's word and to, to see what it has for us. To keep it in context and just let the word of God do the work that God intended for it to do. And uh, the having the privilege of preaching out has provided a lot of opportunities to do that. And I remember growing up, every time a missionary or church planner, somebody in the ministry came through and was preaching on uh, missions and missions work, it always went to the Gospels, what Jesus was saying, and appropriately so. That's, that's, that's good. Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel. But God was interested in missions and, and church planning all the way back at the very beginning. At the very beginning. So I pray that the message will be a blessing to you tonight. We're going to consider Genesis chapter number 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter here, but uh, keeping in context, I think you'll see where we're going. In verse number 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. The first day. God created everything. Now, the rest of the chapter follows this pattern, and we'll see that here in a minute. But uh, for the next five days, the first six days, everything we've ever seen, created right here in Genesis chapter number one. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, to preach your word, Lord. And you know how, uh, again, how empty and unusable I am in and of myself. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit now. Lord, please make up for my own inadequacies and may your word, which is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, do its work tonight. Lord, help us not to be distracted. Help me not to be uh, a hindrance to the message, Lord, and help us to walk away having heard from you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, there's a lot that... Uh, if, if, if the world, if, if colleges, if universities would just read Genesis chapter number one, verse number one, it would answer a lot of questions. 
It, it would answer, I mean, there's people that are spending their entire lives trying to figure out what's in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It all came from God, from the very beginning. Now, have you ever thought about this? God was so good to tell us where everything came from. I mean, I, I am from uh, the state of Texas. I don't know if some of you didn't know that. Uh, the, the A and AJ stands for Austin. That wasn't by accident. My parents have a deep, deep love for Texas, all things Texas. And it carried through. It was genetic. I got it too. But even a Texan can move to Washington and drive over Snoqualmie Pass. Yesterday we had an activity in Roslyn, so drove over the pass and just see the creation the, uh, the, the beauty, the mountains, the skies, the, the animals, the trees, everything that's just here in this state. We could drive an hour and see so much and, and just be at awe and be, be wowed by, whoa, this is amazing. This is amazing. Look at what God did. And God didn't have to tell us where it all came from. He, he didn't have to. But in his, in his goodness and his mercy, he told us in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So there's no confusion, there's no wondering, there's no, how did all of this come about? <clears throat> but, if we were to be fully honest, that's maybe not the only reason God put it here in Genesis chapter number 1. Now, it, for pretty much every Sunday school and every church in America, rightfully so, there are, there are Sunday schools with teachers that sit down kids and they say on day number one, God created the light and the darkness. And then day number two, God created uh, the, the, the skies and the seas and, and everything. And, and we go through day by day by day. Well, why, why do that? Why teach what God said in Genesis chapter number one? Part of the reason is for this. If you know where everything came from at the beginning, you can move forward. You can't move forward unless you know the beginning. And so God, whenever he gave Genesis chapter number one, he, yes, he was very clearly explaining where everything came from, how it came to be here. But you have to remember something. Anytime you open the Bible, whether you are uh, studying to teach, whether you're studying to preach, whether you're just reading it on, on your own, in your own Bible devotions, in your study, you have to keep the Bible, in, uh, you have to keep the text in its context. Where is this being written from? Who's writing it? What, what is the situation? Well, if you don't keep th th things in its context, it can be messy. I mean, just look at our own media. Look at everything going on in the world right now. Things taken out of context are a mess. But whenever you go to Genesis chapter number one, what comes before Genesis chapter number one? Table of contents, right? That's, that's the, that was my favorite book in, in college, the table of contents. No, but in, in Genesis chapter number one, okay, we have to remember who's writing this, where's it coming from. Well, Genesis one, all of Genesis, was written by Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We call that the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote Genesis. And, 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 and you have to remember something. Moses was instrumental in taking who out of Egypt? Well, the nation of Israel. The, the Israelites, God's chosen people. The nation of Israel has been in Egyptian slavery, in Egyptian bondage, for 430 years before Genesis is even written. So stop and think about that. Uh, America is, is just over 200 years old, 200, and we're going uh, soon going to be 250 years, and a couple years from now, 250 years is not a very long time. But the nation of Israel has been in slavery almost 200 years longer than that. Uh, and, and this isn't just, just, just a group of people who have been uh, forced to slave and to work for a, a, a foreign sovereign leader. 
This is God's chosen people. And they're slaves in Egypt. Now, Egypt was known for a lot of things. But one of the things that Egypt was most known for was idols and their idol worship. They were crazy about it. They loved their idols. They, they, had, they had an idol for everything. They had a, they had a god, somebody that they worshipped. They had, they had Ra, the sun god. They had, they had a god of the river. They had a god of frogs. They had a god of cats. They even had a goose god. They, they had a god for everything. And the Egyptians loved it. They loved their idols. They loved their gods. And it permeated society. I mean, you, you walk to the store after work, and then you would pass gods along the way. You go to work first thing in the morning. You're, you're going to, to slavery. And then you pass gods along the way. It was everywhere. Egypt loved their gods. And Israel is in this society. They're in this setting for 430 years. Now, now church, you can't, you can't begin to imagine and to try, to try to paint this picture that Israel the whole time, that they were just sitting in their little huts, not being affected, not being interested in what was going on in Egypt. No, they were very, very interested. In fact, it was being permeated inside of them, this, this idea, this thought of idols and idol worshiping and serving something other than the true God. Now, it, it's been said before, not by me, by, by other preachers. That it took, it took uh, Israel days to get out of Egypt. But it took years to get Egypt out of Israel. Out of Israel. <clears throat> Why? Well, they were so bent. They were so, so, so naturally drawn towards idol. And idol worship. Why? I mean, and that's even evident. You read the book of Exodus. And what's one of the first things they did once Moses was out, was out of sight, out of mind for just a couple of weeks? Well, the first thing they did was build a calf. Why? It was already permeated in their brain. So now, with that in mind, with that context, as, as, as Moses is writing the book of Genesis, now, in verse number 1, he says, In the beginning, God, singular, created the heaven and the earth. Okay, so now it's a little bit bigger. It's a, in fact, it wasn't just big. It was, it was, it was earth-shattering to say, Israel, you, you've heard about all these countless gods your entire life, but... In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know what the heaven and the earth means? Everything. It means everything you've ever seen. Everything that you've ever laid your eyes on, Israel, God. God created the heaven and the earth. He's changing their lives. God is, through Moses, writing the book of Genesis. He is changing their lives, their orientation, their thinking, to give them a proper understanding of the beginning so that they can move forward. Now, what I found was interesting, as you sit down and you read and you study Genesis chapter number 1, look at verse number 2. This is where, I don't know, how, my, my entire life I grew up in church. I know I heard this, but have you ever stopped and considered, verse number 2 says this, and the earth was without form. Okay, so let, 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 let's stop here. I, I love studying the, the Bible and biblical languages. We're going to do a tiny bit of work tonight. I want you to stay with me because it's going to build. It's going to, it's going to go somewhere. But in, the, in, in, this, in verse number two, it says, when the earth was without form. Okay, so the word without form is a Hebrew word that, that is pronounced tohu. Tohu, okay? And here's what tohu means. If, if you're a, an Israelite and you speak Hebrew... Moses is saying the earth is without form, tohu. Here's the definition. It means waste, desolation, a worthless thing. Who in here has been to Kansas? 
Sorry, it's just the best way I know how to illustrate it. Desolation, emptiness. Oh, that, that, that's the word that he's using. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. Uh, stop and think about this. In the beginning, God created the, the heaven and the earth, and it was tohu. It was without form. It was waste. It was desolate. And then he goes on. The next word, it says, and void. Okay, so we hear that, and it doesn't really resonate with us, but do you know how to pronounce the word for void? It's pronounced bohu. Okay, so here's what Moses is doing. He's saying, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and it was tohu and bohu. Okay, so it, it's, a, it's a play on words. You see that? You hear that? Here's the definition of, of bohu. It means empty space, emptiness, ruin. Ruin. Sounding really good, isn't it? We have without form, tohu. We have void, emptiness, void, ruin. <clears throat> Not sounding good at all. And then it goes on. It says without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, I, I, I don't know how you are in here. I, I love darkness. I love it. In fact, in my, in my uh, this, I know it sounds really weird now that I say it out loud. <laughs> but here's where I'm going. In my apartment where I sleep, I literally have covered with a binder. James, with, with, with a binder, I have covered my wireless internet router because there was a light on it. And wherever I sleep, I want complete and utter darkness. I don't have one of the eye patches things. I, I, don't, I never got into that. But I, I, lo- I love darkness whenever I'm sleeping. Make it black. Make it pitch dark. But listen. Listen. Whenever it says darkness was upon the face of the deep, that's not the darkness it's talking about. This darkness is used elsewhere in the Bible. And here's what it means. It means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow. Okay, so it's not, it's not a good darkness. Moses is saying... In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, everything you've ever seen, and it was without form. It was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. We could sum it up this way. God created everything, left to itself. Creation was in chaos. Chaos. I think that's a good word. Whenever you think about without form, void, darkness, chaos comes to mind. And if you're thinking this, this evening, if you're, if you're tuned in, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait, Brother AJ, how in the world could God, who is God and is good, create everything, and then it was chaos? Chaos? Well, that's how it's reported. I'm not making this up. Verse number two, it's in the Bible. But if you ask me to explain it, how is this possible? Well, let's go back to verse number one. In the beginning, God. Well, let's start there. How do you explain that? Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 1 says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there are some things in the Bible that whenever God says it, we say, well, you know what? Don't necessarily understand. I don't know how this is possible, but God says it. I believe it. So in verse number 1, God created everything, and then chaos was reported. It's a very colorful, it's a very bright, vivid text. We just read right over it. But to the Israelites, listen, those words would have resonated. They would have stuck with them. It would have been like big flashing lights. It was without form and void. Now, this nation, this group of people that just came out of slavery, out of of Egyptian slavery in their life. Listen, as they're hearing these words, you think they could have possibly sat there and said, you know what? I relate to that. 
I relate to being in a situation, to being a group of people in a situation, in a context that is without form. Meaning, not, not having structure, having a complete lack of structure. Why? Well, how is that the case? Well, because they were God's chosen people. They were promised to be a nation with a land. They have nothing. They just came out of slavery. And so they were without form. They were void. They were lacking the, the promises that God had promised them in the past that had not come to fruition yet. And what they could have done in their life is they would have looked at it. They would have looked at their entire situation as a whole and said, look, I relate to without form and void. To the nation of Israel, these, these verses weren't just saying this is where everything came from. It was saying, look, Israel... As a whole, as creation left to itself, it was chaos. It was chaos. And God said in the context, showing this is what happened. But then the, the chapter goes on. The chapter goes on. And we're not going to take the time to go in and, and read all the details, but if you're willing to work with me, work for just a couple of minutes, I'm going to pretend to have a big... Whiteboard. Brother Chip, I should have had you bring it up from the, from the basement. You've done it before. I, I, if, imagine me having a big whiteboard up here. And I'm going to draw a, uh, uh, a chart, a column. And it, we're going to have two columns here. Picture it with me. Genesis chapter number 1 is written in a, in a, in a Hebrew structure that is, that is parallel. Okay, so and parallel means simply this, side by side. So day number 1 is going to be day, uh, the first cube right here. We're going to have one, two, and three. All right, do you see that? Now, parallel to day number one is day number four. So one, four, two, five, three. What's the next one? Six. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. Okay, so in day number one, what did God do? Well, look at this. In day number one, verse number three says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse number four says, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now that word, divided, you know what that word means? Okay, think of it this way. Any of you who have ever been teachers in Sunday school, you give little Johnny, you give little Sarah a little uh, coloring paper, and it's supposed to be uh, Joseph or Samson. And, and in, on this coloring sheet, there's just white spaces and black lines, Right? So little Johnny, little, little Susan, they grab the, the crown, the cra crayon, <laughs> southern, the, they grab the Crayolas, the markers, whatever they're drawing with that day, and then they take that marker, and then because there's a ravenous crowd behind them of, of, of kindergartners, they take that marker, and as soon as they can, Miss Jamie, they, they put it on that paper, and they go, and now Samson is completely purple, and the background is purple, and everything about Samson is purple. Why? Because that's how they color. If, if you were to, however, color within the lines, listen, that, 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 that idea of coloring within the lines, staying within context, that's the word divided. It means to, to, to stay within, within the boundaries, to divide. And it says God divided the light from the darkness. So, again, up here on our big chart, we have day number one, God divided the light from the darkness. Okay, remember that. Jump down to verse number seven. This is day number two. Okay? And God made the firmament and what's the next word? Divided. He divided. Same thing, same context. Divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Okay, so 
On day number two, what God did was the waters on the earth. He divided, he separated the waters from the sky. You know, there, there, there's water, all the clouds that, that are in the sky. He divided, the, now we have a heaven, now we have a water. God divided. On day number three, God continues to work. He continues to move forward. And what does he do? He separates, he divides the dry land from the water. Okay, so day number one, God divided the light from the darkness. Day number two, God divided the seas from the skies. Day number three, God divided, he separated the dry land from the waters. If we were to put it in context and to see how God divided, God gave structure. Look what he said in verse number two. And the earth was without form. And for the next three days, what God does is he gives form. He gives structure. He gives boundaries to that which was completely lacking structure. There was no structure. So God gave, God God divided the light from the darkness. He divided, he divided. That's what God did. Day number one, day number two, day number three. You see this? You see how it's coming together? Okay, now if you're thinking, day number one parallels to day number four. What did God do on day number four? Look over at verse number, let's go down to verse number 15. 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the nights and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, look, on on day number four, what God did was he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay, and and you know what I love? I know know you've heard this before, but uh, whenever it says, and he made the stars also, we live here in, uh, I don't know, is, is Bothell King County? Snohomish, okay. Well, I live in King County. Assuming you guys might have more sun or more darkness out here, I don't know. But in King County, with the way the, the, the lights are in Seattle, you don't see a whole lot of stars. But I tell you what, drive out to Roslyn on a clear winter night, and, and you'll just be amazed at the stars, at, at the abundance. It looks like, like, like God just took a pound of sugar and just threw it on black velvet. There, there's, there's sparkles everywhere. And it says that God made the stars also. Here's what he did. On day number one, God divided the light from the darkness. He gave structure to that which was lacking structure. On day number four, he then filled it. He filled it with what we call heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Are you thinking? It says without form and void, empty. Now that which was void is full. And whenever it says void meaning completely empty, now there are stars beyond our, even our comprehension. We haven't even seen all the stars that are in the universe. And God spoke, and now that which was void is full. Okay, so let's follow the structure here. On day number two, God divided the seas from the skies. On day number five, what did God create? He created the fish. He created the birds. So what he gave structure to on day number two, now on day number five, he is filling he fills, and, and think about it this way. If God would have made one bird, if he would have made one bird and that's all he ever made, we would still be studying that bird out saying, how in the world can something that is alive and breathing fly? But God didn't even just make one bird. He made multiple birds. He made, he made the hummingbird. He made uh, the ostrich. I don't know if the ostrich was day number five or day number six because it doesn't really fly. But he made birds. He made chicken. Amen. 
He made fish. Fish that, listen, in 2018, we're still discovering new species of fish. Basically, here's what God's doing. That which was void, that, that which was empty, he then filled. Okay, so it's, it's going to come as no surprise. Day number three, God divided. He separated the dry land from the, the, the ocean. And then on day number six, what did he fill the dry land with? Animals. Animals. Animals from the anteater to the aardvark, to the dog, to the cat, tons of it. And whenever God fills something, he does it abundantly, abundantly, beyond our human comprehension, what God does, what, and, and, and what, what God was showing Israel was, look, Israel, creation left to itself was in chaos. It was without form. It was void. But whenever God came to work, in the end of verse number two, it says, The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word moved, okay, so um, Brother Lamar and I, growing up in Texas, we know what it's like to be around a big, boisterous wind. I mean, I mean, ever been in a tornado, near a tornado? It is big, it is powerful. It's like a train, literally, it's like a train going over your house, is what it sounds like, that's what it feels like. But whenever it says God, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, that's not what this word means. It means to flutter. It means a very gentle fluttering. Creation was in chaos. But God came in and God was at work. And then that which was lacking structure, that that which was without form, now has complete, total structure. And that which was void, that which was completely empty, is now completely full. And what, what God is showing through Moses is that, look, Israel, left to yourself, left to creation and left to yourself. You are without form. You are void. But in verse number three, and God said. Verse number six, and God said. Verse number nine, and God said. Eleven, and God said. Verse number 14, and God said. You're not keeping up with me. Verse number 20, and God said. You see, God's saying through, listen, Israel, through my word, I'm able to give structure to that which is lacking structure, and I'm able to fill that which is void. This is a huge passage. This is a, this is a huge chapter to the nation of Israel. You, you know part of the reason for that? In, in, in my devotions right now, my, my, my daily Bible reading, I'm, I'm in the book of Numbers. You know, Numbers has a lot of chapters that, I'll just be honest with you, very, very, very detailed. <laughs> There's a lot of names. There's a lot of numbers, go figure, in the book of Numbers. And you know what God does in in, in Exodus and Leviticus? He's about to give them the law. Listen, a law that that isn't just going to be a list of of suggestions and and recommendations, but a law that is going to shape their very lives, from government down to their personal lives, the way they worship God, the way that they they treat each other, the way that they treat um, foreign dignitaries and enemies. Everything is about to come from God's law. And you know what? Before he gives them the law, he's given them this foundation, this this basic idea of, listen, Israel, through my word, I'm able to give structure to that which is lacking structure. I'm able to fill that which is void. Why? Because God's word is about to come to them and be written down, and it's going to change their very life. And before he does that, God gives validity. He's giving precedence to his word, saying, listen, you need my word, everything about it. And it'll change your life. You know, if you stop and think about a city like Seattle, I mean, 
there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in Seattle. Did you hear about the guy who climbed a tree? And he just wanted to climb a tree. And so he climbed it, and he stayed there. And the police said, hey, come down from that tree. And he said, no, I'm not coming down from this tree. I like this tree. And from that, does anybody, did anybody hear this story? This was a real thing. It happened in Seattle. It's my hometown now. These are my neighbors. <laughs> this guy who stayed up in a tree, he said, I'm not, I'm not coming down. And you know what? A bunch of protesters, a bunch of people with, with signs, I don't know exactly what they did. They came over, and they were like, yeah, man, fight the power. Stay in that tree. <laughs> and you know what? As, as he was in this tree, he eventually came down. Why? Because you can't live in a tree. And he came down, and he told the reporters. The reporters were like, sir, what were you doing? What kind of message were you trying to send? And his message was, I wanted to stay in the tree. <laughs> he wasn't trying to raise a, he wasn't trying to raise a rebellion. But listen, the, the idea, the, 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 this natural propensity that Seattleites are drawn to of, of rebellion and chaos, it, it's there. It permeates. It, it comes out in society. Boasting themselves to be wise, uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And listen, whenever you go to a city like Seattle, don't, don't, become, don't, don't get stuck into this, this mindset of, oh, it, it's, just, it, it's gross, it's oppressive, it's grimy here. All that Seattle is, is, is it a bunch of sinners that live together. That's what it is. I mean, people are sinners. We have the sin nature. And what we did in Seattle was we just compacted about 800,000 of them on top of each other. But listen, in a very real way, I'm being honest here, it, it can feel oppressive. It, it, I mean, uh, in, in a way that people that aren't from Seattle come and they visit and they say, there's just this, this feeling uh, of oppression here. I, I've heard that. I've heard that from people. Well, all that it is is people left to themselves. Creation left to themselves was chaos. People left to themselves are chaos. <clears throat> you know what an effective ministry in Emerald City, the Emerald City, is going to be like? It's, gonna, it's not going to be coming in and, and, and cleaning off the streets and getting people off the street, putting them in homes. Now listen, all that's good stuff. It's, but it's not going to be uh, give, giving out food and it's not going to be giving out medical attention. Again, good stuff. But the thing that is going to come in and change lives and give structure to that which is lacking structure and fill that which is void is going to be one thing and that's going to be the ministry of the Word of God. Because as God's Word is at work, as God's Word speaks... He says, I am able to change that which is chaos into something that is absolutely beautiful and gives honor and glory to me. That's what he did in creation. That's what he did for the first six days is through his word, he was at work. Now, go back and look, look at this. In verse number five, it says, and God called the light day. God called the light day. Okay, now, we're, we're just going to spend a moment on this. This is pretty significant. If I were to go around the room and point people out, and I've tried this before, but uh, if I were to say, Brother Lamar, who gave you your name? He would say, my dad, my mom. If I were to go around and say, uh, Miss, Miss Rachel Boyer, who gave you your name? Well, my mom, my dad. Why? Because your mom and dad give you your name because they have dominion over you. You didn't pick your own name. <clears throat> Whenever it says God called the light day and the darkness he called night, listen to the Israelites, this was very significant. Because their entire life, they, they grew up under oppression. And now what God is saying to them is, Israel, I called the light day. And I called, he, he goes all the way through, the, at verse number 8, he called the firmament heaven. And then verse number 10, he called the dry land earth. What God's saying is, I didn't just do it. I didn't just create it. I have complete dominion. I have control 
over everything that I created. That's why it's significant. Later on in chapter number two, God's going to tell Adam, he's going to give him a job. He said, Adam, go name the animals. God could have done that by himself. In fact, he probably would have been a little bit more creative than grasshopper. You know what I mean? God, God, God could have done it. But you know what he was doing? God, God was showing Adam, listen, Adam, you have dominion. You have domain over these animals. I'm going to prove it. Go name them. The, 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 the Hebrew boys in Daniel, what was one of the first things that happened to them whenever they got taken to Babylon? They named them. What they were doing was they were saying, listen, we have dominion over there. We have dominion over you. And what God's showing in Genesis chapter number one is not only did I create, not only did I give structure, not only did I fill, but listen, I have dominion. God's saying, I am in complete control. Complete control. And you know where churches, you know where Wooden Valley Baptist Church is going to get overwhelmed? It's whenever you start to minister and think that it is somehow in your own control. That somehow through my own work, through the work of Emerald City Baptist Church, through the work of Foundation, through Bellevue, through, through Wooden Valley, through any church in history, if you go out and say, well, we're going to do something for God in our own strength and our own power, God's saying, listen, that was, never, that was never the plan. That was never the intention. I have dominion. Listen, Israel, I am sovereign. And what he was doing was he's saying, you need my word to change you to change your very life and i'll do the work i'll do the work turn to romans chapter number eight romans chapter number eight very very familiar passage paul writing to the christians at rome so we're fast forwarding maybe four thousand years now we're closer to our own time. And listen, he's talking to people who have now been saved. In verse number 28, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, again, what does that mean? All things work together for good. You, well, you've heard this preached. The good doesn't necessarily mean, okay, well, we're going to get a nicer car. We're going to get a better house. God, God has something better. This is going to come out prettier and shinier than ever before. That's not what God's talking about when it says all things work together for good. Verse number 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be, what's the next word? Conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And you know what that's saying? That a life that's submitted to God, a life that, that comes to God, and God who is at work in his life is using all things for this purpose, that that soul, that that individual, we could, we could broaden it and say that family, that couple, that church might be conformed to the image of his son, to look more like Jesus. You know what another word for conformed might be? Structure, meaning a life that is empty, a life that does not have Christ, whenever Christ comes in, and whenever Jesus begins working, he is now going to start giving structure to a life that was lacking structure. And that structure, you know what that structure is? It's to look like Jesus. It means that, that, that a life that was completely in chaos by itself, look up here, a life that was steeped in idol worship. And you know what idol worship is? Idol worship is whenever you give affection or attention or love to anything more than God. That's idol worship. 
You don't have to have an idol. You don't have to have a god on a shelf. You have to go, go home tonight and worship uh, the, the, the gold god. You don't have to have a god on your shelf to be an idol worship. In fact, idol worship is more in self than it is on the shelf. And God's saying a life that is an idol worship, that's giving affection to anything but God, is going to end in what? Chaos. You look at people walking down the street, and, and there's just this, this, this emptiness in their eyes. They, they might look weird, they might not. The, the people in Seattle, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost drawn to the people that are outwardly look, look completely in rebellion. Why? Because they're just manifesting on the outside what's going on on the inside. And that is the fact that they are in chaos, they are in turmoil, because they are serving everything but God, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find happiness. And God said, you can't find that apart from me. Their life's in chaos. But when Jesus is at work, he says, I can conform you to the image of my son. Talking about Jesus. He's able to give structure to that which is lacking structure. Not only that, look at verse 31. And what shall we say, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. What Paul says, if God spared not his son, if he didn't even hold back Jesus from you, how is he not going to give you all things that you need in this life to live for him? You know what that sounds a lot like? A life that is void, a life that is empty. The tohu and the bohu part. He's able to fill with all things. Amen. Uh, that's what he says. Freely give us all things. All things. But it's only through one way. Through Jesus Christ. So you know what the ministry of Emerald City Baptist Church is going to be? To go and to preach Jesus. To go open up God's word. The, 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 the word of God which, which does not change, that, 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 that is effective down in the Bible Belt in the South, that's effective here in Bothell, is just as effective in, in the darkest neighborhood of Seattle. Why? Why? Because God's word doesn't change. God does not change. And so as we go and as we preach Jesus, listen, lives will be changed through his word. <clears throat> he said it would happen. He said it would happen. But listen, Wooden Valley... The, the, the work that's going on in Seattle is good. You have a part in that. Whether or not you even realize, you've already had a huge part. But there's a possibility that there's people even in this very room under the sound of my voice. You may look like you have it all together. You may look like, oh, look, I came into church. Uh, Brother AJ, I'm here on a Sunday night in December when it was pitch black two hours before I came to church. I came to church. Look, I got it all together. I sang, on the, sang from the, the screen. It looked good. But you know, deep down inside, there is an emptiness, there is a void, there, there is a, a, an ultimate chaos that whenever you go home and you pillow your head at night, you, you know, you know that you know, even if you can't express it, even if you've never told a single person on the face of this planet that there is something wrong, there is an emptiness, there is a void, there is a darkness. And what God's saying is that will never, ever, 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 ever be filled apart from me. And it doesn't matter how you look on the outside. If chaos is raging on the inside, God designed for it to be fixed one way through his word. But you know what? That won't happen if there is a draw, if there is an unwillingness to come and lay down idols at his feet. 
That's why God very directly was dealing with a people, a people who, who were drawn towards idols outwardly. We are a people who were drawn towards the exact same thing. But God's purpose, God's intent for your life is that ultimately you would bring honor and glory to his name. You look around at what we get to feast our eyes on in the state of Washington. Remember this, we're looking at a cursed version of creation. A cursed version of what God did in six days. And he's at work. If, if you are in here tonight and you're breathing, God is at work in your life. He wants you to come. He wants you to submit, to bow down, to, to, to lay down every idol, every false god at his altar. Submit to his word. Why? So he can bring structure to that which is lacking structure and he can fill that which is void. Father, I thank you so much for, for this text. You are so good to give us Genesis chapter number one. And Father, through the process of, of ministering, I, I wish I could say that I've only ever tried to minister your word, Lord, but I know, I know, I know that there's been times where my own wisdom and thoughts and ideas came through and they permeated and I tried helping people on my own and it, it always ended in failure. But Lord, your word, whenever your word is at work and, and, and is brought to life, it is impossible but that people will, will, will be faced with their sins or that they will be under conviction. And Lord, it's up to them to respond. And tonight, I, I pray that if there's anybody who, is, who knows you but has fallen back into, into uh, false idol worship, Lord, that they would get that settled, Lord, that they wouldn't carry around this burden, this, this burden of, of false gods and affection for the world, Lord, that can never satisfy. I pray that you would help them to lay that down, Lord. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, I, I don't know everybody here. There can be somebody that this is their first time in church. And if they have never come face-to-face, in a relationship with you as the Savior, Lord, I know that their life is in chaos. I know that they're in pain. I know that, uh, that, that there's a void that only you can fill that is completely missing right now in their life, and I pray that you would help them to, to come and to know you, Father, the way you intended. As the musicians begin to play, and, and we're going to have what's called an invitation. This is a time where the most important part of the service, God is at work, and God, through the preaching of his word, highlights things in our life that needs to change. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you're dealing with, what you haven't surrendered and submitted to God. But what I do know is this, he intends for you to be completely right with him. There, there's no way you're alive in this room and God's done with you. I know that for a fact. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I ask you to stand with me. Brother Lamar is going to sing, and as he sings, I invite you to respond.